Hey, how are you doing? I hope you're good. I hope you're relaxed. I am sweltering. <laughs> this is a very hot day uh, this morning. If any of you know how to speak to the sun, please just let her know or him to like just, just to chill just a little bit. I know it's spring, but like this heat wave we're currently going through is a bit much. But anyway, I'm Yalezo. I also go by Yaz's student. I am the host of the African Film Podcast. This is the first time you're hearing about us. The African Film is a space where we explore African cinema through film recommendations as well as conversations with practitioners working within the African cinema space. So the way that this works is that we usually start with the film recommendation and then we go into the discussion. So I feel like my last few film recommendations have all been quite deep. If we even go back to our club days, our last three recommendations have been Atlantics followed by I Am Not A Witch and then Sophie. So I feel like we're going to change the gears just a little bit. Uh, we're going to bring something light as our film recommendation for this week. And this week, we are coming back to South Africa with a 2011 film called Scheme. The job was simple. All I had to do was drive my late brother's ex-partner up to Josie and back again. Why did you leave my car? We just need a place to stay for the night until the mechanics open and we'll be on our way, man. Gates close at sunset. Nobody comes or goes till dawn. Easy money. Oh, that was the plan. I was about to discover there's no such thing. Yes, like. What the fuck? Sorry, Richard. Right now, your people out there trying to figure out exactly how they're going to fuck us. So Scheme is a film which is written and directed by Tim Green and it is an ensemble piece centered around the actor Wandile Molebate. And the basic premise of this film is Wandile Molebate and Kurt Skonrad are two drug money travelers. So their job is to travel from Johannesburg to Cape Town with 1.2 million rand. And I just want to say I'm not 100% sure that it's from Joburg to Cape Town, but I do know that they're traveling a very long distance. And then midway through their travels, their car breaks down and they don't have the adequate tools to be able to fix the car. So they decide that they're going to um, settle in at this resort that they found on their way to kind of gather their thoughts and, and figure out how it is that they're going to fix the car and then get get to where it is that they need to go to deliver this cash to their boss. Now, within that, they check into this resort, calling it a resort, but it's really not a resort. But we use the word resort for now. It's it's like, yeah. And this resort is very unique in that it closes down at sunset and then reopens at round sunrise. So if you're not, so if you're in, there is no going in or out after sunset. You are stuck there. From sunset to sunrise, so from like seven a.m. So from seven p.m. to seven a.m., no one leaves, no one exits. Clear. That is a very important. <laughs> it's a very important piece of information. So now they get to this place, and as they get to their lodging, as they're walking from their car to where it is that they're going to be staying for the night, they're carrying their one point two million in this box, and the box essentially breaks, and all the money falls out. And everyone who's staying at this lodge sees the 1.2 million and they have nowhere to go. So the mission essentially becomes to survive the night. Yeah, to be able to survive the night, to be able to actually finish their mission. Because again, this is drug money. So if they don't actually finish their mission, they're going to die. If they don't bring back the money in its entirety, they're going to die. And everyone who's staying at this lodge, barring I think like two people, are in some level of dire straits and they want that money for something, whether it's because they've just recently gone bankrupt or um, there's a bachelorette party where the fiancé doesn't want to get married to a husband, but the only reason she's doing it is because she's also in financial dire straits. So it becomes this scheme of how to get this money and for them how to maintain this money. And it is really an ensemble piece. It's a great comedy. It's something that you can unwind to, have a, have a nice laugh to, great ensemble cast, including the likes of Kenneth and Corsi. Again, I, I did mention Wandini Molebate. And yeah, it is currently available on netflix because that's where i watched it and that is our film recommendation for this week now in terms of our conversation we have a very special guest who is quite an all-rounder 
I met him as a film festival organizer. His film festival that he does is the Cherry Film Festival, which is going to be airing, I believe, next week, in the final week of November. And it is in the, it's in Fixburg Free State. So if you're able to go to that, I do employ you because the more South African and African films we watch, the better we have an understanding of the space that we're in. And that is today's podcast, episode three of the African Film Podcast with Lebo Motawung. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to African Film. This episode was sponsored by the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture. Before we start, I do want to mention that this interview was recorded via Zoom. And unfortunately, on this specific day, Zoom wasn't our best friend. So some of the audio is very vulnerable um, at specific times. And we have done our best to accommodate for it. But we just want you to be aware of that fact when listening to this podcast. Today, we have with me a very special guest. Um, This is someone who I met about this time last year. And how we met was we met at, at NFF was hosting a workshop for film festival, um, for film festival organizers to kind of both have film festival organizers all kind of be within the same place, but also to kind of give a little bit of support in terms of understanding how best to actually pitch for film, um, film funding fundraising. And I met Lebo on the last day. <laughs> I met Lebo on the last day, literally almost as it was about to finish, because there were there was there was this mixer, and him and Linda looked like some of the younger black people who were at the actual um, who were at the festival, because it was actually quite a wide range of um, festival um, festival participants, and we struck up a conversation over there. So now a little bit about Lebo, at least what I know before he then um, will fill in the gap. So Lebo is both a DJ um, who goes by the name of DJ Soso. He is a lawyer actually by profession. That's what he studied at WITS. As he studied um, at WITS, he then got into, um, um, he then got into radio via WITS um, at VAL. And from there, he kind of got more into the radio game and got, as he got into the radio game, kind of pulled him into the eventing game, which is how we then know him more popularly as DJ Soso. And what I would like to know is how we got from there to the Cherry Film Festival, which is hosted in Free State and the Fixburg. But before we get to that, how are you doing, Lebo? No, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm good. I'm healthy. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm feeling good for, for my age. I'm feeling good. For your age? <laughs> I'm joking. You're still you're still counted as youth within the within the South African parameters, aren't you, sir? Yes, yes, fortunately, but I'll, very soon I'll be I'll be out of that <laughs> out of that parameters. As I would say, I'm I'm I'm, I'm more considered youth than that. <laughs> it's like older youth. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about the gaps that I feel because there is a, a quite significant gap between, I believe, your vow days and radio days being DJ Soso and you being not only a film festival organizer but you've also you're also a filmmaker you were one of the producers of one of my favorite docuseries of last year called Luxon Culture 20 years on I believe yeah. so you're also a producer on that which was SAC nominated for um for wow. documentary sound yeah and yeah, so tell us just a little bit more about your background, how you kind of got to here, because creators in South Africa, just your, your, the spread of things that you tend to find in one person is so much, it can, it's kind of nice to kind of see how it all kind of comes together. I think to give you better context of my, my existence within film and TV, and I'm going to go back to as far as 2008 end of 2008. A friend of mine who was in law school, but who actually then later dropped out. A lot of people know him as my guy, but he's the founder of uh, Corvette Dreams, you know, um, the founder of The Hustle. So he was, at the time, he was producing Shiznes on ETV. The Hustle is in the, the hip-hop competition. The hip-hop competition, so yes, I'm saying, saying the director and the producer. Yeah. You know, um, 12 years ago, he was producing Shiznes on ETV. At the time, 
I was obviously just um, doing my own thing as a DJ on campus. And and he was aware of my profile and he called me up and he's like, you know what, I want to put you on TV just to, you know, elevate your brand. Uh, you know, I'm producing this show called Chisness. I can put you there for a month. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then he invited me to the studios before we, before it was shoot day. He invited me just to check out how they work at Red Pepper Studio uh, Pictures. Mm. I, I, I somehow, uh, you know, I, I was in a place that I could sort of resonate with. Like I got there and I just loved how they were working, how free everyone was from the camera guy to, you know, to everyone, you know, to the presenters, to the guests and everyone. And I was like, okay, I think I like this. And then we shot all four episodes in one day for the month. And I, you know, it's an experience that I enjoyed um, a lot. And then, you know, then I was on TV and then, you know, there was a whole lot of talk and, you know, that really helped uh, my profile and then got more gigs and all of that. Then a few years later, another friend was producing a show on SABC1 called Media Career Guide. Media Career Guide. Yeah, it was on SABC1. It was presented by Boiti at the time. This friend of mine, her name is Mbali. She, you know, she was producing the show. You know, she had known me also from birth, and she wanted to do a profile of me because I was this young at the time. I was this young lawyer, DJ, and event guy, and doing radio. And and then she was like, "Okay, we need to have you on the show." So I, I had like sort of a small commentary on the South African media law and entertainment law, um, and also I, I got the chance to to talk about myself on the show. Again, I was like, okay, I'm loving this, you know, I like this. And then um, that sort of gave me inspiration to just start, you know, penning down my own show concepts. And then in 2014, I started pitching with Lumko, Lumko Johnson. He works at, I mean, at the time he was working for Evan yeah, and I pitched a show with him, and he helped me to actually build a treatment. You know, then I was getting into the whole thing of how to write a treatment, how to write a synopsis, and all of that. You know, all those nitty gritties. Yeah, the nitty gritties. That didn't really materialize to anything. Twenty fifteen February, I had this client. I knew he was in production, but I also knew he was doing like accounting stuff, right? And then one day he calls me and he says to me. Would you mind working on a TV soap because they're about to do a storyline that involves court? So we'd like to like work with a with a professional, with a legal professional to advise on the script, you know, to see if the script follows, you know, court procedure and all of that. And I was like, yeah, you know, and it was a paying gig, fortunately. And I was like, um, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and 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 you know that 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 TV show was skinny sound. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And then I worked with them. It was in Feb. I worked with them, I think, around March 2015, right? Yeah. We did the story. And then I think the story was was, was on air around June. Yeah, I think they usually me like three months. I remember when I used to write, yeah. when, we'd, when we'd write, it would be like yeah. three months later when it would actually come back on to, when you get on air. Yeah, so it was on air around June. And then they called me back again for June. But now you see what happened in Feb. What what they did was they had already written the story, so I was only just reviewing their scripts and uh, editing the scripts, uh, to, you know, so, so that it can, you know, the art can also be in line with the law. In June, when they call me back for another story, they call me from now the brainstorming session. Ah, yeah. So now I could influence actually the narrative and the story direction. So how was that for you the first time around? Being in a being in a writer's room. For me, because it was something I wanted so so bad, I felt home. It, I just I didn't I, I didn't overthink it, you know. Mm. It felt like something I'm supposed to do, and I worked well with the writers, you know. And I think they liked that because I was not coming to them purely as a lawyer, but I was also coming also as a creative writer. Yeah, you know. Then I was starting to learn about the terms. You know, they go went back to storyline come back, bring out the outlines, and I'm, and then go back to do the actual script, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I was learning about all those things. I was loving it. Um, I'll tell you that much. I think we wrote between June and July, and then in August, for the four weekends of August, uh, we were on set yeah. every Saturday, Sunday. I remember, you know, sometimes I would have gigs on the Friday, mm -hmm. come back at like four in the morning, and I had to be on set at six. So I you know, basically like nap for an hour. But because it was such an exciting project, I would, running off that I would adrenaline. Just, I would just, 
Yeah, just, just running on the adrenaline. I would, I would literally just switch off at 6 p.m. when you when you rap for the day. You know, um, so yeah, I enjoyed that really well. Um, and then I formed, um, you know, some form of business relationship with the producer of Skin Sam. And then she introduced me to Patu, Patu Maguarela. The king of South um, African television. Patu, Patu, Patu. Yeah, one half of the king, the king. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I've been in a writer's room with that man. And I understand why he's a successful writer. He's, he's just amazing. And he watches it. He watches a lot of content. Like, like he watches, watches a lot of shows. Show. And he loves uh, from what I've picked up and from the from the brief time I was able to work with, like he genuinely loves the type of content that he does. Um, in terms of telenovelas, he lives and breathes them and he lives for action. Like if if characters aren't dying or if characters aren't in motion, he's like, What is going on? Why are they not moving? Like he will he's he's always putting them in in very uh, yeah. a very progressive writer. For me also, just before I even go to that part, I found the industry so accepting of me as I was. You know, some industries when you don't have any colors, when you don't have any stripes that you and they treat you a certain way, you know? Yeah. But the actors I met, the directors I met, the producers I met were so accepting of me as I was. I think maybe they could sense that I was coming with a pure heart into the industry. So I've never really had a problem with doors being shut and I was just able to like move you know as as things were happening then I get to meet Patu Patu puts me on Uzado. there's a court story there mm. a few months pass this is now in 2016 he puts me on the beat so, so now you're, you're, you're the so lawyer I'm guy like, you're the court guy for, for, for television essentially <laughs> all of that got me thinking again like what else is there to do I was then close to like you know some people who had done work with National Film and Video Foundation. And they were like, you know, there's some grants you could apply for, uh, you know, um, that are film related and stuff, you know? Yeah. And I think at the time, in 20, 2017, I think the film, the whole thing about film festivals was sort of like, I think, popular in a sense. There were more people who were like, okay, they're organizing film festivals. And then I thought to myself, okay, I know there's a festival that happens in Big State in Free State. That's where my parents stay, by the way. So it's my second home in essence. And then I remember they, they, they had this annual fe- uh, festival, like it's an art festival. Yeah. And I was like, what if we bring a film festival component into that festival? And uh, I started doing my research, got to meet the, the board members of the Cherry Festival. And then I, I, you know, I sort of pitched the idea and they said, look, you can bring the film component. We won't actually even have anything to do with it. And, and they were supporting me to make sure that even the locals get to know about the film festival. I pitched with NFDF and they granted me, you know, the funding in 2018. It was my first film festival, but you, you know, know when you are led by, by passion, passion, like things sort of open up. Mm. Because, because my thing was, it would be, the film festival, festival would only be a success if, you know, we have all the support we can get from the industry. And I had people that I had known who are in TV and film, and they were all behind from Cross to Mika, Manla, and Lumko. You know, we had a lot of people that, 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 you know, were willing to come to and just come and do the three workshops. So that's, that's what happened in 2018. And then last year we had the second installment. The support was now even bigger, yeah. you know, because, you know, we had done the first one, you know, so yeah. And then people were, were loving, you know, the whole idea. So yeah, that's, that's, that's how Cherry Film Festival was formed. And now we have taken it even further and registered the brand as a, as a, as a, as a foundation. So there's a Cherry Film Foundation and we're still forming that up so that we can be able to like really focus more on like uh, training workshops and stuff because that's, that's a big part of our film festival. Like we do like these. Uh, film workshops like at the actual festival. So yeah, that's where we're I remember when we met, you wanted me to help you with one for web series, but at the exact same time, <laughs> your your film festival was yeah. happening the exact same time I was doing the Africa Rising International Film Festival. It was exactly the same weekend, yeah. so it was a, a clash, and I was doing the digital yeah. hub, which was the <laughs> the web series component. But now you guys, um, you guys yeah. are coming back this year again. Yeah, we're coming back. Uh, of November, I think 20, 25th of November until the 25th. Oh, so the exact same weekend. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we realized we always just clashing with uh, Africa Rising. And you know what's funny? Last year, we did Africa Rising was actually trying to like come do an activation at Cherry Film Festival, but they were not aware that we are on the same. So if we had done it another time, they could have gone down to the precinct to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Film festivals are still, I don't want to say that they're they're new, but I think we're still kind of, at least the younger ones, because I've been involved in now two, both being the Arifot Film Festival and my own, the Broadcast Showcase. We're all kind of finding our, our our feet into it. But what I'm what I'm curious to kind of understand from you is my first event, my first uh, event for public for that was not like a house party was a film festival, uh, which was <laughs> which was the most amount of anxiety I've ever um, experienced. Probably, yeah, it's 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 that followed by live television. The amount of anxiety because there's so many moving parts that kind of come into just doing a live event, just in general. So I want to understand from you what are some of the things that went into both understanding the needs of a film festival, and what are some of the things that you think also filmmakers should understand about the necessity and the value within film festivals and where where we sit within the value chain. Okay, let me, let me, let me start with the whole value chain because I've always been so passionate about how we could use film festivals, especially as filmmakers. Firstly, a film festival is an opportunity for you to meet other filmmakers. If you're not a filmmaker, if you're an actor, it's also an opportunity to get to meet filmmakers who can put you onto their own projects. And and you know, you know, for you to get a gig, I think in any industry, you need to form relationships with people. Yeah. So you need to build on a social network. And I think a film festival is a hub to build such relationships because truth be told, people put their own brands on onto gigs, you know? Um, then, then you can talk merit. But even even when you look only on merit, a producer or a director will prefer someone they probably met or worked with before than just someone who's perceived to be good but they've never met or worked with. Yeah. So a film festival, I think, allows you that opportunity to then get to meet people, then they can meet the person. And then, you know, they'll always just, you know, have you in mind. I also believe film festivals can be used as, because film distribution is still a big trick in South Africa. And I think we need to start becoming very creative in how we distribute and market our films or documentaries. Film festivals are a bit fluid. They are like sort of open to like where you could literally, if you have a connect of all the film festivals, you can just launch your the first year of whatever movie or piece of content that you have with different festivals, you know, and then after that, you can then, you know, build up some form of rapport or some data that you can then present to maybe like a distributor, like a Stechenic or a Metro to say, listen, these are the numbers that we did with, you know, people in festivals. And, and you know, I promise you, you know, if we put this movie on Stechenic or it has already gathered enough momentum and uh, cloud that it could like give you some nice numbers. So film festivals are very important in the daily chain of, of filmmaking and film distribution and marketing. So so yeah, that's 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 my view on it. Yeah, also when we do talk about film festivals, specifically I know with South African with South African films about an average of 20 to like 20 to 26 films make it to the cinema each year mm. and if you for example to even look at diff which happened about a month ago there are about 50 films showing at diff so even if you microcosm it to one the amount of films which actually do make it to a cinematic run is what you guys understand the cinema or going to the movies versus the actual films are made there is quite a bit of a disparity in between them so film film festivals both bridge that gap but as well as as you as you did say they allow for you to network also allow for you to meet people like distributors so However, that film festival is specifically curated then allows because different film festivals equate to different things. So even with the NFEF, they tier their film festival in basically three versions. There's a tier one, tier two, and tier three yes. film festivals. So tier one is essentially, I don't want to call them the international film festivals, but they're the international film festivals, the ones which 
specifically deal with marquee films by probably already tested filmmakers. If your film festival is showing films that have Jamil, XT, Rebecca, or... Yes, if, if they're showing those types of films, they would they would count as a tier one. So a Reap would actually count as a tier one film festival because it was having both local big movies as well as international big, big movies. Then the tier twos are kind of in their own circle where they allow for both upcoming filmmakers as well as filmmakers who are making a, a name for themselves. So those ones are more kind of locally based and those those speak to speak to those needs in terms of developing. And you get the tier three, which then deal with entry level filmmakers, or even um, in my case, not films at all, because my specific festival yeah. in terms of the broadcast showcase was very much only centered on web series and short films, or specifically digital media. Yeah. So even within understanding those tiers, whether you're trying to create your own film festival or you're whether you're trying to go to a film festival, understanding how each of these different festivals are branded can also help you understand who you might be able to meet there or what type of communities being built within those places. And all three tiers are incredibly important to the development of our industry because they all kind of deal with specific yes. different things. You find a lot of tier three film festivals or tier two film festivals will deal with a lot more workshops and grassroots levels workshops in the tier ones, which are dealing with more, where are we going next in terms of your Netflix conversations or your Showmax or even, for example, I think at the Durban format, they mentioned that CAA, which is an American agency, which represents- That's the one that signed, that signed, I believe so. They yeah. cover in terms of agencies from sports people to filmmakers like JJ Abrams. And like very recently, they've started their own African branch and they're saying what's coming next in terms of what the international people are looking for than African content. But to to even get to those specific conversations, you still need to have developed or allowed places for filmmakers to um, test out their work because that's what essentially one of the key functions of a film festival is, is to get that feedback. And speaking to, towards your point, not just from a distribution point, but one of the things which I used to pick up from film festivals or that I've picked up from listening to like American and British directors talk about them going to their own film festivals is that it kind of also gives you, it gives you an understanding that if you have, I don't want to say big enough of a budget, but if you do a cinematic run, if you do a film festival run, you get to understand what are the different points that people relate to within the within the within the audience. And then you can also maybe fix those parts by the time you go to your cinematic release. And you'll find sometimes that the actual the version of the film which showed at the festival and the version of the film which showed, which then shows when you get to cinema are two different products. And it's usually because of all of that feedback that you get from going to these different festivals and seeing where do they react? Did they react at the right time or was the desired effect um, kind of met? This season's interviews were primarily recorded remotely via Zoom during September and October 2020. The African Film Podcast is produced by Enraptured Odyssey, a media company based in Alberton, South Africa. To find out more on African Film and Enraptured Odyssey, you can go to their website, enraptured.africa, and you can also follow their social pages at African Film, that's A-F-R-I-Q-U-A-N, Film, on social media sites for more fun film facts. So yeah, you you said that you wanted to speak upon governance compliance. when it comes to compliance. Yeah, you said you wanted to speak on compliance. So what I what I would like you to to speak on yeah is within that compliance in terms of understanding when you are approaching someone like an NFBF or a DTI or whoever it is, how do you speak to these grants essentially so that they what it is that you're saying? How do you speak to them I in think their language? How you speak to them in their language? You need to firstly. They have a model or a way that they they work, and you need to be compliant to that. Let's say the NFDF, for example, if you want to host a film festival, you need to look at their application form. It doesn't matter what ideas you have, 
if you want funding from them, you have to tick all their boxes, their boxes, because they have their own KPI. Uh, what is KPI for someone who does not know what KPI is? Yeah, key, uh, it's key performance indicator. So, but that still needs a breakdown. They have objectives, yeah, right, as, as organizations, and they have to fulfill those those objectives. You know, they have to perform in a certain way so that they can go back to NFDFR answers to to the Department of Arts and Culture. So they have to go back and be like, okay, these are the film festivals that we sponsored or that we gave grants to, and yeah. all that, you know. So, so you have to follow what they want out of you. It's not about your idea itself. You know, they have their own ways of, of, of the type of festival that, that they don't want to, to sponsor. So let's say you want to organize a film festival, but your film festival doesn't have a workshop or training component to it. You just want to show films, you know, so it's more just like an event. You wouldn't necessarily fall under the, they call it the distribution and marketing division, you fall under the events division. You understand that? So, so you need to, to learn these things because you might come with a concept that has no workshop feature or component to it, and, but you're applying for a festival and then you wonder why you're not getting and also, I'd like to add um, to that from, I think, what I remember them saying within the workshop, but also just in general. Sometimes the ideas that you do have are aligned with them, but you've just not detailed it specifically. Because their objectives, their objectives essentially, because I, um, I essentially do the same thing, which you're talking about. I use their objectives and then I'm doing my treatments. Everything that, every almost every line or every second line is almost giving back their objectives to them in terms of what yeah. it is that we're doing. Yeah. So for the showcase, we are a youth, for youth, by youth. By being for youth, by youth, we're already speaking yeah. to one of their tiers. By, we're, 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 we're targeting web series and short films, which is an underserviced market, and we're holding workshops for it. So, and these are things which I'm pretty yeah. sure a lot of people, when, they, when they're having their ideas, it's already incorporated, but you don't kind of communicate communicate it to a way that they can because it's 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 essentially like what you're talking about they have kpi so they're they're trying to see do you take all the boxes because they have to spend this cash it's not like they don't want to spend this cash they have to spend this cash and sometimes you get you get um rejected not because your idea isn't good but because you just haven't spoken to the things which they then need to go to their bosses and say, we have covered A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, those have done this, and this is what we've we've then uh, brought back to it. But yes, as you were saying. Yeah. Yeah, so so that's that's firstly what people need to be be privy on. And once you've ticked all those boxes, then you have to be compliant when it comes to... Your paperwork. Like your tax affairs, your paperwork, yeah, you know, because the, the concept is one thing, and then your your paperwork is another thing. You know, uh, you could have the dopest concept, but if your taxes are not in order, uh, which unfortunately I'm gonna have to say that I still have a um, a problem with considering the state of our country. You know, we know very well what what gets people to to fall to fall short of their taxes. Um, and they are so strict about it. They, they don't even try to like get people to like partner up with with other companies that are you know that are more compliant. I feel like there could be a better way to, to go about it. You know, this thing of of excluding you know some of the greatest ideas just because someone doesn't have their taxes in order. You know, I think I think there could be something that could be done in terms of bridging that gap. Yeah, let them partner up. Maybe let's say, for for instance, with the NFDF uh, sponsoring the, the bigger international film festivals, and then you say to the international film festival that we want you to to sort of incubate a smaller film festival from another town, from a smaller town in another province, perhaps. And and because these guys are, are falling short of being compliant on their taxes or something, just bring them in, and then we're gonna pay the money to you, and then. You will help them just produce this, this this project in their small town. You know, those are things that they could do, you know. But to just because then you realize that you end up having the same people getting funding. And yeah, a lot of like young people from small towns, they don't even you know, 
know know where to start when it comes to taxes. And that's the yeah. one issue. Like, I mean, I've done work for for the NBA even outside of the festival, and there was a time when I almost lost, you know, a game because they wanted a CSD report. That report is from the, the National Treasury where you comment on the tax status. And sometimes the National Treasury can, their systems may not be updated. Yeah. So you, you find that you actually have a tax clearance, but your CSD report says you are not compliant. You won't get that day. Yeah. Or you won't get that grant. You understand what I'm saying? So those are, I feel like those are things that I think government could work on. Be easier to do compliance in order for them to be inclusive. But until that happens, try to be to have, <laughs> to be as, your, yeah. Yeah, to have your, your paperwork in order. Because once you have a paperwork and an idea, you're going to get that grant. Simple as that. But what I've realized also is, is how you start. You know, a lot of people just have companies and then they already want to get funding. But we always think of the one side of things. So when it comes to funding, we don't understand why government has all these stringent rules about how to get funding out because a lot of people are actually defrauding government. You know, people just start companies and then they apply for like a big, big and loan, off. get yeah. the money and disappear. Yeah, and run off. So, so, so even with with equipment, that's why they want to see maybe like a track record. So, if you can try to start like buying like a small camera, just a camera, um, and and and. So that when you are applying for a grant and they ask you for for, for an asset uh, inventory, you are able to say, okay, I have a camera and maybe an LED light, and I wanna now get a second camera and another LED light. Yeah. So you start you build like that. So you can't just get like a big rig of equipment when you just like starting off. So guys need to build from scratch. You know, everyone yeah. literally puts from scratch. It also helps even yeah. from a filmmaker's perspective if even if you're starting this by yourself, shoot something. Um, shoot something that that's solid. Cause yeah. I started, yeah, we started our company in like 2016. And we only started like pitching for for stuff late 2016. But every time we'd pitch, people would ask what we've done and I'd like put up my Mnet stuff and they'd be like, No, that wasn't your company. What have you done? And it would be it would be almost a consistent mm-hmm. consistent conversation that we'd have. And then literally once we had our web series Pride and Petty, uh, actually once we did um, a few comedy sketches, then we did Pride and Petty. Mm-hmm. A lot of the conversations became a lot simpler, even though Pride and Petty isn't done on a high. It's it, you can look that it's not done high budget or even mid budget. You can see that it's, but you can see that there is skill there. You can see that this person is a good writer and they, that they've invested something within themselves to then move forward. Mm-hmm. And once we got that licensed, one of, once we got that licensed by a content aggregator, a lot of things then all of a sudden started falling easier into place because we weren't saying that we're starting from some, from nothing, we're starting from, we've done this one um, web series, you got it licensed here, we're just trying to get, in fact, actually um, the location which we got for, for our showcase was predicated on the fact that we were doing a web series festival, having already done a web series. So they were seeing that we could bring in more web series people. And had we not done that web series, we wouldn't have been able to get that location. And that location for the first time, for the first few times we were there, they gave it to us for free. Mm. We'd already seen that we had invested a lot of research and already production into it to then move forward. Kind of like how you yes. talk about, because a lot of these things, it's as much as you, as, as much as it's also business, people want to buy into you or they want to buy into the story that you're kind of creating. And if it's a moving ship, yes. it becomes a lot easier to buy into that moving ship because you have an understanding of where it is or not where it is. Just, you have something to hold on to, not just the, yes. not just the idea. It's something that, that, that I've said a lot of times and sometimes it could sound like a cliche, but that you need to start with what you have wherever you are. Actually, you need to just shoot content. That's what we're trying to get. Like we're shooting, we're always just shooting stuff. Like with my music, uh, the studio sessions that we have with uh, my, 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 my uniform record label. We're just shooting content. Uh, we're shooting content on Saturday. Uh, one of our artists, um, um, the, the duo, they, they, they were performing in Victoria and we went there and we shot content. Like 
we're trying to shoot as much content as possible. When we were during the film festival, the Cherry Film Festival last year, every single day after like you know a day of work, would like chill, like get drinks, and we were shooting that as you know in the form of like a podcast. And because people sit and talk about any like what we're doing right and, now, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so 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 and 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 when you have creatives, they have they have like a lot of opinions about everything. So what we did was we just mounted two cameras. And so no one is necessarily like standing there recording. So we allow people to just be themselves. And some people just join the conversation. They're not aware that we like recording. You know, and then obviously post edit, we're going to run it with everyone else. This is, what, this is what we did. Can we post this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because also like when you do it, um, if you try to say to people, trying to, to record, some people like start performing. Yes, you know? they, they so start you know, being in. They're like, oh, cameras. No, but you said, yeah, they they they, they can either play it up or they don't or they don't play at all, and they 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 then become very reserved because this yeah. is a very small industry, and uh, yeah, yeah. So pe- pe- people so, yeah, can get hurt very quickly, even when shots aren't being thrown at them. <laughs> so so yeah, um, that that that's basically what shooting content, um, and and just putting it in the archives. Something will come up. Something always come up. So this whole thing, African film, essentially started off as an online movie club. Uh, during the original 21-day lockdown, we would um, throw watch parties for different African films. So we're keeping a bit of that element from it. And I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite African film and why? Uh, I'm gonna... <laughs> so don't think of favorite as you saying this is the best African film that has ever been made. Don't try. You can make it as personal as you want it to. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be a statement on. The, I think. I think. I think Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Ooh, why Jerusalem? I love Jerusalem. I think Jerusalem was bold. The problem, I think the problem with South African producers is that they're not all, but I understand why. Because I, I usually just measure a house with, 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 with Hollywood, and I don't think that's fair, you know, because these guys have done it so many times, they've failed so many times. So and they have a lot the more infrastructure to, to do risk analysis that yeah. allow them to then say, okay. So also, like, I think with Hollywood, the, the audience has allowed the producers to take it. Hey, going back to Jerusalem, I think for me it was it was a bold movie. I mean, I watched like I watched like I remember when I watched Hijack Stories, and I don't like seeing cheesy stuff. I don't I don't like seeing an actor performing, and you can see that they are trying to to play what happens in in certain communities. You know. Mm-hmm. It's like you're watching a movie, but you can see that this person is acting out the script. Like someone said to them, okay, be, be, be a thug, you know, be a typical township thug. And you see him play it and you like, you see it. I don't want to see it. I want you to perform. You know, the gentleman who has played the Nigerian dealer in Jerusalem. Yeah. I actually thought that guy was Nigerian. In the new South Africa, you can go a long way with a smile. You can go much further with a smile and a gun. As a boy on the streets, crime was a way of life. I have a job for you. And every job was a lesson in survival. But as a man, I looked around and what I saw was an empire waiting to happen. When every day is a battle. In a major raid today, police confiscated 500 firearms and large quantities of heroin, cocaine, and methamphetamine. How do you win the war? Adapt or die. Yeah, so I need I need to feel to feel the actors, but I need boldness. I need and we need to like push our our audience 
you know, I mean, when when Izo is on, I'm just gonna move into TV. When Izo is on, came out in '99, we push the audience, you know, because sometimes we think the audience is not ready for the content piece until we put it in front of them and they respond positive. There's that. There's also again sometimes if we speak specifically speaking within television. The broadcasters also sometimes are 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 within play there as much as they have every right know. to be. Um, they have every right to be because they have to yeah, deal with the fines um, that come when you break <laughs> when you break yeah. when you break stereotypes or not break stereotypes but when you break um, what the status quo. Yeah. 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 No. 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 Definitely, I fully agree with you. I'm just saying there's a problem with with the market with, with the industry in itself. You know. So, so it's difficult to like really, really uh, find the favorite African film, but I think Jerusalem, just to answer your question, because that was yeah. the question. Um, I really, really loved Jerusalem. Uh, wait, wait. I cannot, yo, and yeah, God forgive me for this. I cannot exclude anything that's been done by Yellow Bone. From our good report, to Knuckle City, to... So the winter. So, yeah, so the winter, uh, to my skin. Oh my goodness, I watched Knuckle City. And you know, when the movie ends, I realized I felt all the emotions. Yes, that is my favorite African film. I like how a story could have like a sad flow, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a story like could have, a scene could have a sad flow. <laughs> and then someone would say something so oh. You know, I remember I watched it at the at the, at the Joseph Film Festival, and I remember that, that some of the humor was so awkward. It was so it dark. Came, cause, yeah, because it came at the at the time when you are about to like really empathize fully. That's wrong. Oh snap! No, no, no! I thought I lost you. Then. Oh no, I'm not. here. No, my laptop just just something just something came, just came up. up. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh, yeah! Almost. So yeah. so um. The scenes just you you go with the flow and you're like now you're sad right and then it was like there would be like that touch humor but now you don't know whether to laugh because you you don't you're not sure if you're gonna laugh if the person sitting next to you they're gonna really think that you're a messed up person so <laughs> look I my first viewing of it was an actor's viewing I think like a month or like two weeks before it came out. No, people were laughing. Uh, when when it was time to laugh, they didn't care. It was it was it was. But what I did love about it is um is very much that gray, but also the reality that they brought in the reality of boxing. In that, I thought the the young boxer. I thought we were building up to a, to to a movie of old boxer versus young boxer. Then yeah. paka paka, young boxer's gone. I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> pause. <laughs> Um, I, I forgot it. Uh, Stephen Gessie, Stephen Gessie, who really I really enjoyed his performance. Actually, I enjoyed yes. everyone, but Stephen Gessie like really came and he felt the testosterone. Yeah, the the testosterone of the character. Like I was in it, and also I really loved the brother um, who I really wish had won the SAFTA for for his performance. Um, oh yes, the, the one who came from jail. Every scene he was in. And I think Onawe um, was also talking about how much every time he was in the scene, you felt his energy just take over that scene whenever whenever he would just, because he was such a wild card. Yeah. Something is going fine. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, cool. But also the thing that I also liked was within making all of those characters flawed, they still then made the lead character flawed because he was doing the exact same thing his dad was doing. Yeah. At first I wasn't okay with it when I watched it the first time around. and then. I kind of just sat with the fact that this is this this movie wasn't necessarily a depiction of how things could be. It's a depiction of how things are. Yes. And within how things are, you have characters. These cycles do perpetuate themselves, and you have these characters who are incredibly toxic. Mm. Every character in that thing, except for maybe the nurse, yeah, I believe was was incredibly toxic. <laughs> <laughs> the nurse and the daughter. Because the daughter really didn't do anything wrong. Wait, did she? She didn't. She was okay. The daughter was okay. She was actually the voice of reason <laughs> at a point in time. But she was when, also when, like, uh, she was going down the, the route of what, what, what's happening in that township. Like, 
you know what 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 Jamil did in, in that movie? He showed you. You know when you watch movies, there's always like a story of hope. <laughs> what yeah. Jamil what Jamil did was no like, some people's life out, out. and that's just how it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm just gonna have to talk to to Yellowbone because essentially every episode is starting to become a a a marketing yeah <laughs> marketing effort for them but they are really um really great filmmakers okay so then to 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 wrap up as someone who's now done a film festival what are the things that you believe filmmakers need to be aware of when they're submitting things for distribution whether that be from to a film festival your film festival or even when they're considering it to do for um cinema because Sometimes the, the, there is this thing that we do say that you need to just shoot and then um, start shooting and do that and then things will make sense. But on the other end, when th- there's still very much a thought process that you need to have when you're doing, still kind of needs to be sitting at the back of your head as you're saying let's start shooting or as you're starting to formulate this plan for this film or documentary or whatever it is that you want to be doing. I think they need to realize that Especially for South Africa, we still have a very niche market, hidden market, because it's such an outing. You know, people still like are looking for entertainment. Yeah. You know, I I look at at filmmaking as almost like making a song. If you wanna make like a song, I mean, a film that speaks to you, and you know, it's a story that you are passionate about. The problem is that that story. If, if if it's not a story that a lot of people could relate with, it might render your film failure. So you need to make sure that you are. You need to make a decision. Are you making a, a, a film for a niche market, or you want a, a movie that sends to be popular? You know, if you want to make a movie that's popular, there's certain things that you need to have. In if you want to make a movie for you know the film movies and stuff, then then you can go as deep as you want to go. So that decision has to be made. You can't just make a deep movie, a dark movie, uh, but you want it to be popular. That won't work, especially for the audience in South Africa. That's my view. If you're going to be submitting to film festivals, the nice, the nice thing about film festivals, they take you know, almost any film and you can be able to like show in a lot of film festivals, regardless of how the film is. But whether or not that film will actually have people coming to see it, and that usually depends on the marketing of the actual film festival itself and the marketing of your film itself. That goes down to the story again. If you want like people to come to like Emma for example, uh, there were a lot of people who were looking forward to watch it at the Cherry Film Festival because it was a big movie already. And it's a pity that in Pittsburgh is not a Pittsburgh is not a, a town that has a cinema. And these days it's, it's a lot more difficult for movies to actually get pirated. Like they, they, they used to, especially like local movies. Yeah. I don't know what they did, but it's difficult for people to get their hands <laughs> on <laughs> local movies and watch them on their laptop. So Emadweto would have worked nicely, you know, uh, for film festivals because the movie itself was actually quite popular already in cinema, you know? So, so yeah, it's, it's, you have to make a decision as a filmmaker, you know, what's your target market? Because it's still a product. Yeah. You know, a movie is still a product, and you have to decide are you, do you just want to make an impact in a small grouping of society, or you want to entertain a bigger group of society and then, then shoot in that way. And also, I think it should be wise to then state then you also choose the film festivals you want to enter based upon that fact. So that you have a better understanding of who's watching this, why they're watching it. So once you have your film, or even when you're making your film, have an idea of those types of places that you want to go to and see what how it is will be received by them. And one of the things, at least for me, which um, I found really help in selling your film is having a dossier. And that it tells you, this, even before you've watched the film, their, their presentation literally brings you into the world of the film so much that you then want to actually press play 
even if you have no idea what it is. So even those little things in terms of how you market it to the people that you're sending it to goes a long way because also I can use those facts if I'm on radio and I'm talking about your stuff on radio, I can then even use those specific dossier information because it'll give me that extra bit of spice, which may not have been there, but that information is still yet again all there with you. All you need to do is share that information that kind kind of allows us to be like, wow kind of like my twitter was shot in two weeks and it was done on a hunch and it was shot even before catching feelings or the fact that they shot so they went into my skin on the actual john kiefer farm like they went to, so like those specific types of things specifically with the movie like so they went into my skin knowing that makes the viewing experience even a little bit more unsettling Cool. And then finally, thank you. Actually, thank you so much for uh, giving me now, what, two hours of your time. I'm very sorry that we yeah. we yeah. went hectically. Yeah, we went over, over time, but you don't have to do otherwise about it. It's also an opportunity for me to learn, you know, some, some of the things I think about them, but I've not spoken about them. And it's, all, it's always good to then hear, I mean, my side and then you get to speak your side and then I get to like have clarity so yeah i'm grateful for this so if people want to know just a little bit more about you whether it be for production purposes or for the cherry film festival or anything where can they reach you um or how can they kind of get a hold of you and then what is one final message you want to leave the african film i'm going to create a name for the for the, for the for the listeners, but the African for people to listen to. <laughs> um, okay, firstly, when it comes to like people getting a hold of me um, on Twitter and Instagram, I am F I M T J so um, and I'm directing people to, to that account because I literally tweet post about everything uh, every day. He's very active on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I post about everything every day. And, and there's also the at Cherry Film Fest Twitter account, and then at Cherry Film Festival uh, Instagram account. Yeah, and then when it comes to the last message, I think for African filmmakers, I think let us go into the stories. Let's shoot stories that we grew up with, that our grand grandmothers told us as we were, you know, growing up. There's the story of Tilani and Dina. I don't understand why people have not shot that, but it's fine, I'll shoot it. Um, <laughs> there's, there's, you know, there's, there's a story of Mushanyana Sangatana. It's basically a story of this man whose village got swallowed up by, like, a, you know, um, this big uh, creature and he had to, like, fight it. You know, those stories, I mean, you need to tell those stories. It's an easy sell, guys. It's an easy sell. Like, shoot this movie a lot of people resonate with it they know the story um so let's let's also tell stories of our soccer legends our political legends you know hollywood is doing it they hollywood is doing it so much they tell the same story three times four times you know they'll shoot a movie about muhammad ali and shoot it again five years later <laughs> you know um and still somehow find a way that could make it so interesting. We have not even started, let alone the angles. And also, let's let's not be afraid. Let's not be afraid of telling the fictional angles of real stories. In Glorious Bastards, Quentin Tarantino told a fictitious angle of the World War II. One of my favorite uh, films from the last Oscar race was uh, Jojo Rabbit, and Jojo Rabbit is a th- Jojo Rabbit for me is actually, I think it was in my top three, top two of the Oscar films this year. It was Parasite and Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit literally just, it, it fictionalizes Hitler and not just Hitler, that era in such a way through the child's eyes that I found incredibly refreshing, but also still told the, the impact of that time in a completely different way. Even when we look at a lot of our favorite like epics, Gladiator is a fictional, that is not what happened. Yeah. I'm glad it is not what happened in the Greek times. So a lot of the a lot of these things we can take from our history and 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 appreciate them or lift them. And when we do lift them, then just don't say it's based upon. Just say it's inspired by true events yeah. if it's within the public domain. But yeah, you do have that license to be able to yeah. move around. Yeah. 
So that's that's my message for film, uh, for African filmmakers. And I'm gonna say this: if you're not gonna do it, I'll never do it. <laughs> Man, just gonna tell all the stories. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely telling the story, man. Uh, let's let's do it. I can't do it alone. Let's all do it. That was the third episode of the African Film Podcast with our special guest Lebo Motaun. Thank you so much for listening. I am Yolezon Jiguna, the host and editor of this specific podcast, and this episode was sponsored by the Department of Sports, Arts, and Culture. I would like to take this time to acknowledge the amazing team that helped put this podcast together, including my co-producer Kibari Wanjukuna, the music composer Katleho Doshi Temo, who made the original music you're listening to right now, as well as our voiceover artist, Nomava Kibare. To find out more about African Film, do follow our social pages, which is African Film, which is A-F-R-I-Q-U-A-N Film on both Instagram and Twitter. You can also check out our website, enraptured.africa, where you can find the full show notes. Or if you'd like to email us, you can also email us at africanfilm at gmail.com. If you'd like to check out some of our other podcasts, you can also check out the Next Gen Greats podcast, which is hosted by myself. The Next Gen Greats podcast is a space where we get artists to take us through the inspiration behind some of their projects, whether it be an EP, a mixtape, or a producer's catalog. You can also check out Givenomics, which is a podcast hosted by Kibare, where he gives an economics enthusiast perspective on things. And finally, if you'd like more film content, you can also check out What's Hot on the Screen, which is essentially a bite-sized version of this because I talk to filmmakers about their upcoming projects, but more so in a 10 to 15 minute type of setting. You can find those links in our description below as well as in our show notes. Once again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you at our next episode.